Um, today, I'm going to share with you a word, okay? Uh, it's nautical theme, so our songs had images of water, and our sermon is entitled today, Anchor. Today, we're, I want to share with you uh, from, uh, from the, a very familiar passage of Scripture of Jesus uh, um, and Peter walking on water. And I want to show you how God is, in fact, our anchor. Our anchor in the storm, our anchor in the wind and in the waves. And somewhere through the middle of the sermon, after the first of three points, we're going to have a little very special Father's Day presentation for all of you, right? And so hang in tight. I was just telling one of my three kids that um, they are co-preaching with me today, right kids? You are co-preaching because it's going to be in the middle of the sermon and all the words of the songs that you'll be singing will be part of the message that I'm going to bring before you today. Jesus calms the storm. Matthew chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 14. If you, are, if you want to take sermon notes, you can swing by over to our journaling, con, uh, our journaling station. You can get uh, pens and stationery and paper and all that there. If not, then I'm just going to go through and get going. All right? Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the word that we are about to read and understand. Father, as we read your word, we pray that you will cause your scripture and your perfect divine revelation to open up before us so that as we hear your word being delivered, being read, and then being understood, Lord Jesus, may do a forming work deep in our hearts. May you yourself, by your own hand, reach deep into our hearts to shape us, to renew us and to and to bring new life into us in Jesus name we pray amen now immediately Matthew 14 immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side this is Jesus getting the disciples to go into the boat and go before him to the other side now while he dismissed the crowds and after he had dismissed the crowds he went up on the mountain by himself to pray so Jesus has dismissed the crowds. Had, the crowd is the feeding of the 5,000. He's just dismissed the ball. He sent the disciples away on boats. Now when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat which the disciples are in, by this time was a long way from the land. And it was what? Beaten by the waves and the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. Now, who wouldn't be terrified? Would you be terrified? I think it's quite normal to be terrified, okay? Let's not, let's not diss them for some very human responses. They were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And then Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, and when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, I'm going to take you through three observations, three things, uh, all beginning with F, because it's Father's Day, right? Uh, we're going to look at the fight, the focus, and the faith. 
right? We're going to look at how Jesus is indeed our anchor. And He is our anchor in the fight. He is our anchor in our focus. And He is our anchor in our faith. I'm going to start with the first point that Jesus is the anchor in the fight. I hope you noticed in the scripture reading, I'm going to read it again. When evening came, he was there alone. This is Jesus alone on the other side of the shore. He sends the boat off and the, the boat has been going. It says that the, by this time, the boat was a long way from the land. And the estimate is the minimum by this point, they have, because of the way, the Greek word that is used for long way, they are at least one kilometer in, okay? If not more, okay? Now, they are beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The disciples are on a boat. They are fighting against wind. They are fighting against waves. Jesus is on the other shore, praying on a mountain. And that might strike you as something slightly odd. Because there Jesus is, on dry land, not being ravaged by wind and waves, and his disciples, whom he sent out early, are now doing the fight in the waters. And it says here, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them. Now you might be like, what's fourth watch, huh? Fourth watch is at what? Four o'clock? No lah, right? What is fourth, fourth watch? Now, the Jews had a way of segmenting their night hours, right? Into the first, second, third, and fourth watches, right? So from sundown until nine, it is the first watch. From nine to midnight, it is the second watch. From midnight to three, it is the third watch. And then from three to six, sunrise, it is the fourth watch, right? It probably comes from a tradition of having watchmen uh, uh, standing at the city gates, you know, at the city walls, watching and then they have to keep rotating. So it's every three hour cycles. That's better than, that's better than uh, 7-Eleven staff, okay? 7-Eleven staff probably do eight hours, eight hours, eight hours, right? Okay? These guys do free, 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 free to cover a 12-hour window. Now, Jesus sends them out away after the feeding of the 5,000. So the feeding of the 5,000, they have supper because they say it's getting dark. You know, where are they going to find food? Jesus feeds them and then sends them off. So literally, they go from 6 in the evening, dinner time, first, second, third watch. They have made quite a lot of ground. Or if I may say, waters, right? And then... Through that time, they are being hit by wind, by waves, by, by what is like a storm. And only in the fourth watch does Jesus come to them. Do you find that strange? You find that slightly a bit of a misnomer to the very idea that Jesus would delay going out. Now, if Je now, when Jesus eventually gets to them, He comes out to them not by speedboat. He doesn't come out because He can row uh, faster than uh, Malaysia's dragon boat you know, team. He gets there by walking on water. So frankly, He didn't need to wait until the fourth watch. He's not slow. He's not late. He is timely. He is timely. But it does not feel timely because He only shows up in the fourth Watch. And when you think about this, it would appear that Jesus sometimes seems to let the disciples fend for themselves first. He lets them go. He lets them get beaten by wind, beaten by waves, have to struggle, have to fight, have to draw on their reserves. If not, it feels like they would die, right? Um, they have to use all of their seafaring smarts. They have to turn to all of these things that they know. They have to learn how to, how to be strong. They have to learn how to do all these things before He will come and rescue them. And that's very strange because often in church, or often in books, and often when we hear about our Christian faith, we are sometimes taught, or maybe even often taught, that God will come and rescue you. Like, 
bang. You're in trouble, bang. You're in trouble, bang. Like bomber like that, right? Oh, bomber got fire. Jesus come and rescue you, right? Now, it's Father's Day, okay? And in parenting circles, we call that helicopter parenting. Right? Helicopter parenting is when any small thing your child is experiencing, you come and rescue the situation, right? And then uh, child number two there got something there, you go and you're constantly flying from crisis to crisis to crisis or small problem, usually small problem, fall a bit, like, you know? Um, and by the way, I discovered something as a parent, uh, really interesting, uh, okay? When your child falls, right? Like, of course, you, you, you have to adjust, lah, okay? You, 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 all got, you got your normal smarts, right? It's, your child takes a, a little tumble on like carpet, like boom, right? Okay? I've seen children do this, okay? Um, they literally look up, look around, and if one adult is going like, Ayo, girl! Right? Okay? Immediately, they throw their head back, they go, ah! Right? You've seen that, right? Right? I've seen this before. Right? Similar situation, comparable si- scenario, child fall, boom, right? You watch a child look up. Eh? Bolang, oh. <laughs> and then they go on like normal. They go on like normal, right? They can actually weather that. Actually, if we don't make a big deal, not always, that's why you need to be discerning as a parent, right? Okay? But in fact, more often than you might, you, you, than you might give, it, give them credit for, more often than not, actually, it's not that much. They might be pale, they might, oh, and then they'll, they'll crawl away, they'll do their thing, right? Or they'll get up, dust themselves off, and they'll go on, right? And so if you're an aspiring father, young father, or not yet father, I just want to leave this with you, right? Test it. Granted, it's fairly safe. You can see that their head's still on. You know, they haven't. The, the arm is not rolling off. You know, to the kitchen, something like that. Just hold off first. Don't go, girl or boy. What happened, right? The moment you do that, there's there's no coming back from it. They'll throw themselves off, and then they will Neymar Junior lah. They will roll, roll, roll like, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> give give the chair a red card, right? Because the chair tripped me, right? And the, some one of the worst things we do as parents is bad chair, naughty chair. They all grow with adults who did that naughty floor. You go trip my child, right? Let's not do that, okay? <laughs> Let's not do that. But I digress. I digress, of course, right? God sometimes does appear to let us fend for ourselves first. And where did we most very recently see this, right? We saw that very recently as we were closing out season one of our Acts pulpit series. And we saw Peter being broken open from prison. You all remember that? How many of y'all were here that morning when we shared about Peter's prison break, right? Okay. The angel woke him up, even gave him a little cake, okay? Woke him up, say, get dressed, we're gonna go, right? Okay. And all the doors started to boom, open, fly open, fly open. Literally, Angel and Peter walked through through guards after guards after guards until they reached the city gate. And after they walked through the city gate, Angel left. And then Peter has to complete his exit from prison alone. He has to see out the remainder of that walk by himself. And I asked you on that morning, why? Huh? Why does isn't it much more comforting for the angel to like teman him, teman him all the way to John Mark's house, and then knock, 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 and then Rhoda kind of ah, and then Rhoda runs away, you know, and angel goes, Don't worry, don't worry, I'm here with you, right? I'm with you always, right? Why doesn't the angel follow him, teman him by his side all the way, the way, the way? Why does Angel just leave? So he has to make the rest of the walk himself. Have you thought about that? You should think about that. Because there'll be many times when God takes you up to a certain point and then He says, I want you to feel like you're on your own from here. It doesn't mean that you are on your own. You are not. Because Jesus has already promised you in the Great Commission that surely I am with you until the very end of the age. And his own name is Emmanuel, God with us. So you are not actually alone. 
But there are times when He will make it appear to you as if you are alone and you have to take that walk from the city gate all the way to John Mark's house alone. Or in this case, you have to weather the first three watches of the night, fending for your life, feeling like you are alone. Why does God do that? Because it can feel like, God, you're not answering my prayer. God, I'm angry with you because I've been praying, I've been fighting, I've been drawing on all my reserves and it still feels like you're leaving me alone. God, I thought you told me you will never forsake me, you will never leave me. Why aren't you here? But yet, why aren't you here? And maybe that is not the fault of God. Maybe it is the fault of us for training you to treat God like a microwave oven. That when you boom, it's like in a fixed set of time, like God must be fast, huh? God, I pray, instant answer, huh? vending machine, I press the right button, prayer, I want the rescue to come, huh? must come. Huh? Why not come? Tong, 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 kick the vending machine, like angry with God, angry with God because, now, I joke, but when you're really praying over something that's very real and very precious in your life, it's not funny, right? And you really do your own version of kicking the vending machine and fighting and shaking your fist at God. And go, Why? Where weren't you? Why weren't you here? Right? And don't you remember it got shades of Lazarus dying where Mary and Martha both went to Jesus and said, if you were here earlier, right, then my brother would not have died. Right? Why? Why weren't you here? Right? And by the way, Jesus, that one also purposely delayed. Not one day, not two days, not three days. He waited on the fourth day. Then he came to them. Why? Right? Now, it appears to me that God often works in a certain mysterious way. And that mysterious way occupies an interplay between two different extremes. On one hand, he rescues us. Yes. And on the other hand, he also makes us show some fight. Don't you find that to be true? Now, I know if you're in church, you're more accustomed to hearing God coming in to rescue. God's always rescuing. And it's true. He does always rescue. But when you read through your Bible, I want you to be attentive to the timing of his rescue. Read, for example, the Exodus story and see how many rounds God got Moses to go back and forth, back and forth to the Pharaoh before he actually rescued them. And setback after setback after setback can go already, going to go and then block again, and then block again, right? God seems to constantly have His people in this interplay, this tension between His rescue on one side, which we should all believe will come, and his desire to give a lot of rope so that we seem to have to keep showing up for ourselves, showing some gumption, showing some fight, showing some desire, some hunger. And he does that. He keeps doing that. And I ask myself, why? I don't have exactly all the answers because to a large extent, this is a mystery of God. But I have some ideas. And I think one of the reasons why he does this is so that we can learn how to be strong and how to be courageous. Because if he flies in like a helicopter parent just to rescue us at the first cry for help, then we'll never learn strength and we'll never learn courage. But when he holds off and he can see the total threat, he knows at what point you will break. He knows you're not at breaking point yet. Amen? And then he can say, I'm going to hold off and wait. And in that waiting and in that fight that we have to show, we cry out to Him and He reminds us what? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear the enemy. And maybe sometimes He holds off because He wants to teach us strength and courage. And I ask myself, God, why do you not fly in more quickly? Sometimes it feels like it's very long. And it's almost like he's a sadist that he purposely holds off because he enjoys seeing us suffer. It's almost like if you read this and you don't understand the nature and character of our God, you'll be like, 
What's wrong with this Jesus? Huh? Happily goyang kaki in the mountain and meanwhile his, his, his matai is being destroyed in the wind and waves. Like, what kind of sadist? Right? We might even think like that. I'm telling you that this is how people think. I'm telling you that this might be even how you yourself think because I don't want you to be left with those thoughts alone. I want to engage them here. You may well think he's a sadist. Well, he's not. Because sometimes he allows that pressure and the wind and waves to drag and drag and drag and we keep having to find that inner reserves inside us and then he tests us on our resilience and he tests us on our ability to go all the way. He tests us on our what? Endurance. Why would God test us on our endurance? Maybe because if he never tests your endurance, you will never grow endurance. Maybe because if He does not take you on, on these sprints or on these marathons and on these stretches, you will never grow to be able to last more than five hours. Five becomes 10. 10 becomes 20. 20 becomes 200 one day. But God does. He puts us through these trials so that we stretch and we grow. Because why? He says, those who endure till the end will be saved. And if He does not train us to be able to endure till the end, and then He says, oh yeah, you hope you endure till the end, man. Good luck, right? But meanwhile, we are wimps because we spend our whole life sitting on our, on our sofa with a remote control in hand, goyang kaki and saying, God, come and rescue, yeah? Come and rescue. I believe in the Bible. Bible-believing Christian, I know you'll rescue the way you rescued uh, uh, Israel in the Exodus. You will, yeah? yeah? Meanwhile, I'm just going to watch a bit more Netflix. And that's not how He works. He takes us out into the storms. He makes us stretch. And sometimes I believe He does that also because He wants us to grow in obedience and grow in wisdom because Jesus Himself, as a 12-year-old, had to go back and with His mother and father away from the Jerusalem temple so that He can grow in wisdom and obedience. So God does sometimes seem to let us fend for ourselves. It's not because He has left us alone. And I want to pray with you right here in the middle of the sermon. I want to pray with you if you are in a situation where you feel that you've been left alone for a long time and you're still crying out to God and it feels like all your prayers get flung back from that glass ceiling in the sky and it just keeps pantoling back, back and back. You're thinking like, God, you're not hearing. God, you're not there. And it feels like God's not there. Well, I want to assure you, His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And He is sometimes allowing you to stretch and stretch and stretch because He wants you to grow. Now, in this time, the enemy will try to break you. Jesus Himself had to stretch and stretch 40 days without food or water in the desert. Almost unhuman, that level of endurance. And in the midst of that, God the, the enemy also came to try to trip him up, to try to, to try to derail him at his most vulnerable. You may well face that kind of challenge from the enemy, but God's intention is for you to grow and to be strong. The enemy may mean for harm, but God means for it to be good for you. Amen? Now, at the start of the pandemic, and I think the pandemic stretched all of us, Right? Those two years to three, depending on where you live and depending on what industry you're in, right? those years were really, really stretching and really hard. And in the midst of that stretching season, there was one really bright spot right, on social media. It was a particular meme on TikTok. Okay? Um, it started out as this one guy singing a sea shanty. How many of you are familiar with the song The Wellerman? How many of you are familiar? Can you raise your hand? Right? Okay, you're familiar with the song The Weller Man? Not many of you. So I'm going to get off the stage, okay? Because I'm going to get the team to come and set up the stage and I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. His, this guy's name is Nathan Evans, okay? He's, a, he's an ordinary guy with a TikTok account. So if you don't have a TikTok account, you can still go to Nathan Evans' TikTok and you can watch all his singing videos, right? He was a nobody, really. No one knew him, okay? He was just an ordinary guy, made about like 20 videos before uh, this, before he one day put his camera 
flipped his uh, 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 guitar upside down and then just started thumping it. That's the only uh, uh, musical accompaniment he had, right? He started thumping the guitar, uh, the back of the guitar, and he sang a sea shanty. There once was a ship that put to sea. The name of the ship was a Billy O.T. The winds blew up this bow dip down, down. Okay, and he, he, he went on, okay? Okay, and what happened, okay? The result of that video is that, you know on TikTok, you can remix each other's videos. So if I see your video, I can get your video to replay while I sing and record another part or I can react to it, right? So more and more people started to react and respond to Nathan Evans singing this little sea shanty called Wellerman. And as a result of that, now I'm going to get you all to click to the next slide as well, right? As a result of that, um, more and more people started to add vocal harmonies. These guys came in to do like all the bass lines, like, you know, all the... And they, they, so they started to sing the bass lines. There were other guys who sang alto and then people... People came in and eventually some people came in with a violin, some people came in with all kinds of, and then eventually some, uh, uh, some EDM guy remixed it and added dance beats to it, you know. It became a huge TikTok and uh, um, online sensation, okay, at least for that window of, um, of, uh, of the pandemic. Now, I'll tell you why it's so meaningful, okay, it's because the song tells the story of a bunch of whalers, okay? Now, if you don't approve of whaling, it's fine. I don't approve of whaling myself, okay? But they live in different times, okay? But I want you to see the story. It tells the story of a bunch of whalers who are struggling against the wind, against the waves, and they have one more W. They have the whale, okay? Okay, they have to struggle against the whale and tug at it and pull at it and fight against the whale in order to bring that whale home. And this song is about the ongoing battle between whalers and their whale, right? Trying to pull, trying to tug, trying to lead, trying to win. And it's an ongoing battle. And the, and the lyrics for the chorus say, Soon may the weller man come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. Right? What it means is they're hoping for, res to, to, for, for uh, support and resources to come for them, right? And once they bring sugar, tea, rum, they can be revived and then they can keep fighting that whale over and over again, right? And when I, and when I heard that song in the middle of the pandemic, actually, he, he did this in December of 2020, right? You're laughing because I said rum in church, right? And you're so, so excited, like, oh my gosh! <laughs> okay. <laughs> rum is a drink, yeah. Okay, okay. It's a... Stiff drink, right? Um, okay. Um, now, well, Wellerman was recorded in December 28th of 2020, end of 2020, finishing the first year of the pandemic. The new year started with everyone remixing it. And what it did was that, in a way, it told the story of people who had endurance people who had resilience, people who were fighting against a force that was larger than themselves and they just kept going and they kept going and they kept going and they longed, meanwhile, for sugar, tea and rum to come, okay? Unbeknownst to Nathan Evans and all these people, they were the sugar, tea and rum for a lot of people stuck in their homes, giving us a reviving in our spirits and strength and all that. And as I prepared for Father's Day, I thought about the Wellerman. It's two years ago now. I thought about the Wellerman song. And I thought that soon may God come, right, to bring relief as well to all of us. And so I started to rewrite uh, the lyrics for Wellerman just for fun, for the kids to sing, right? Soon may the Son of God come. The Son of Man. So it rhymes with Wellerman, okay? Soon may the Son of Man come, right, to bring us promise and praise and psalm, right? When will our tugging be done, Right? Stay awake, believe, and go. Okay? Stay awake, believe, right kids? And go, right? And so, we want to present this song to you, okay? I'm going to get the kids to come on stage. And I've got four dads who are going to sing along with me, right? Come on, pirate dads. Come on, come on. And I'm going to put my mic here. And I've got my trusty watery drum with me, okay? I've got my watery drum with me. Pun intended, but props to my wife for making the props. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very nice to have a cardboard artist uh, in church. Yeah. 
and at home. Yeah. Okay, now, kids, are you all set? Everyone got your props? Yeah? All right? Raise your props. Let's show everyone your props. Yeah, all right. Cool. Now, we've got to get the first note of this song right, okay? If not, then it can all sound like a, not a sea shanty, but a, but a, but a, but a, but a whale. A whale, right? Okay? So let's get the first note right. What is it? It's a B. B. It's a B. Okay. Y'all can see the lyrics on the screen. We're gonna sing the chorus twice and then we'll jump into the first verse, okay? If y'all can catch, it's an earworm, huh? y'all, y'all might catch it, okay? Um, then be, please feel free to sing along with the kids as well, okay? Soon may the Son of Man come to bring us promise and praise and some. When will attacking be done? Stay awake, believe and go. One more time now. Soon may the Son of Man come to bring us promise and praise and some. When will attacking be done? Stay awake, believe and go. There once was a ship that put to sea The skip was a dad from SIB The wind blew down, his bow dipped down Down to Sungai Bulog Soon may the Son of Man come To bring us promise and praise and some When will our target be done? Stay awake, believe and go he had not been two weeks from shore when down on him a right gale bow. The dad cried, Lord, why do you snore? Won't you let that hurricane know? Soon may the Son of Man come to bring us promise and praise and some. When will our tugging be done? Stay awake, believe and go. Before the dead could be disgraced, he saw a man upon the wave. He called him out and came to save him from the raging foe. Hey, soon may the Son of Man come to bring us promise and praise and some. When will our time be done? Stay awake, believe and go. For forty days or even more The flooded rose, the water part But in the ship the dad he saw The Lord's own hand said no Hey, soon may the Son of Man come To bring us promise and praise and some When will our time be done? Stay awake, believe and go As far as I've heard the fight's still on The, the dad, dad gives all But the storm's not gone The spirit comes from the father's son They live that dad till all is won Soon may the son of man come To bring us promise and praise and some When will our tugging be done? Stay awake, believe and go Soon may the son of man come To bring us promise and praise and some when will our target be done? Stay awake, believe and go. Stay awake, believe and go. Stay awake, believe and go. All right, give a hand to some of those kids and dads. Well done, children. Yay, yay, all right. Good stuff. That was fun. That was fun. You know, we rehearsed. Uh, half of the crew rehearsed yesterday morning for the first time together, right? And it was a lot of fun. And long may we continue to have fun like this, right? Now, I shared with you about the fight. And both the Weller men and all of us go through seasons of having to beat against the waves, the wind, but God allows us. God allows us to go through it because He wants to bring out endurance and courage and strength and obedience and trust in Him. Amen? Amen? And that was the first one. God is our anchor. No matter how hard everything is beating and blowing and going off kilter, he is our anchor. He lands, He holds us down into enduring in our fight. The second point is this. 
that God is our anchor in our focus. And focus is very much like an anchor. And <laughs> an anchor goes all the way down and it holds the ship. Or if you may say, anchors go down in every direction of the boat, of the ship. And all those anchors go down and it holds the ship to one spot. A focus or the eyes focus is when the eye can lock itself against one point, one visual element and you hold that anchored down and you don't move. God is the anchor in our focus. Now a long time ago, uh, when, I was doing, um, when I was doing a bit of stage stuff in church, Thank you so much, kids. Yep, thanks, team. Uh, when I was doing some stage stuff in church, we were doing a musical entitled uh, uh, Storm in a Teacup, which so happens to also have all this seafaring kind of uh, uh, metaphors. Part of, our, part of our acting workshops involve looking at a fixed spot on the wall, so we will have to mark a pot in the wall, stand at the furthest end of the room and we're supposed to say our lines at that dot. And we're supposed to say our lines or sing our songs at that spot because we were training our focus so that when we are on stage and we are delivering a song with acting in between that we know how to basically pick out some faces in the crowd and hold on them, right? That's a focus training that I've done before. You can do this at home as well. I want to show you an instance of focus, or if I may say, blurring of focus, or distraction of the, of the focus in the story of Peter walking on water. And Peter answered Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out. Come to you on the water. It's a very strange uh, request that Peter is asking. Peter is saying, if you are real, you ask me to come out. He's, like, he's not saying, I want to come out. He's saying, I want an invitation from you to come out. And if you invite, legit, I will come out, right? And so he says, if that is you, command me to come out, I will come out. Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he started walking on water. Now, anything else beyond what you see on this text is redeemed imagination. Okay? It is God maybe giving us the power to imagine what it could be like. It's not scriptural. It's not 100% true. How far Jesus uh, was standing away from the boat and how far Peter had to walk, we don't know. Matthew tells the story very, very briefly. He's, he's, almost, he's almost stingy with the amount of detail that he gives, right? And all he says is this, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And then beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So you see painters painting scenes of, of Peter walking on water. And you will see him and Jesus at a certain distance. Different paintings show them at slightly different distances. Different paintings will show Peter having traversed more water or less water. What we do know is that he definitely did, at least for a brief moment, walk on that water because it says that he began to sink, you know, and for him to begin to sink, he had to have already been on the surface for some time. Peter walked on the water until he wasn't walking on the water, until he started flapping on the water. I'm going to ask you, good Bible students of Sungai Buloh Church, what happened? He took his eyes off Jesus. How do we know? Where is it in the Bible? Because this is what pastors will do for you, right? We're in Bible study. I ask you a question. Y'all give me an answer. My next question will almost always be, where is it in the text? He saw the wind. He saw the wind. Because before that, he was looking at Jesus. If it's you, they saw the, the, water, the man walking on the water. They freaked out. It's a ghost. I still on that on that figure. The figure says, "It is I. Don't be afraid. Come, right? I still on Jesus." And he steps out of the boat and he starts walking. We don't know how far along he's walking, but at some point he turns and he sees the wind. 
technically you can't see the wind lies an expression to see you see the effects of the wind lie you know you see the waves crashing and you feel the mist and you see everything happening you know your own sail blowing if they are in a sailboat you know um, you see the wind and then suddenly in your own heart and in your own mind all hell breaks loose because you realize that something else has entered your eyes it's no longer just Jesus in your eyes. Something new, something other, something different, something non-Jesus has occupied your vision. And your vision is now scattered. Now I want to show you this. What enters your eyes enters your heart. Whatever you put inside your eyes will traverse through your optic nerves get into your brains you perceive it you will remember it but the worst part is this it gets into your entire spiritual milieu as well so it fills you and if it brings you joy then it does if it amplifies your lust then it does if it grows greed or, or, or envy then it does right if it makes you um, if it makes you if it makes you angry or resentful or bitter, then it does. Or it may well make you more grateful and, and, and thankful, then it does too. What enters your eyes also eventually settles into your heart. And it affects you. It shapes you. It grows you. So the Bible, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. How many of you know where this is from? Matthew 6, 22, on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And if that which is in you, is, that which is light in you is darkness... Meaning that this which is supposed to give light to your body, if this is darkness, then how great is that darkness? How great is the darkness in your whole body? Because the very one, the very one cavity that can shed light into your whole life, you can see, you can perceive. If that is dark, how great is that dark? Right? And so Jesus goes on, God goes on and on and on to remind us to open our eyes. Stay awake, church. Stay awake, believe, and go. Don't fall asleep. Don't slumber. But keep your eyes on God. Don't look at the wind and the waves. The wind and the waves are going to blow. By the way, the wind and waves always blow. They always smash everything around us all the time. It's called market force. The market is always in force and it's always doing something. Very seldomly it's doing something that you really, really want it to do. Most of the time it's doing absolutely random, sometimes somewhat predictable things, but it's doing things that cause you to have to keep reinventing things, reinventing yourself, growing strength, growing courage, growing wisdom and, and obedience and all those things I talked about. Why? I don't know why. But I do know this one thing. If your eyes are on the market forces, you will start sinking. Just like Peter did. If you are constantly looking at the object of your terror and the thing that you are afraid of, instead of looking at the one, the one who will deliver you from that terror, then you will sink. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, do you not know, do you not remember that Peter did for a brief period walk on water and the walking on water my friends is not really for us to go out there and try to replicate so sometimes we may consider it like this is gosh the bible is so unscientific how can your christians actually believe this stuff okay um because clearly you know human weight density water like dude i don't believe y'all can believe this thing right it's not meant to be a scientific experiment for us to gauge who has faith and who doesn't just so it's clear. It was an extraordinary supernatural event that took place in a split second. And in a split second, it ceased to take place anymore. 
But in that split second is a picture for us to remember that when you lock eyes with God and you hold that focus with God and you walk and follow Him and you do not lose sight of Him, that you can actually step across challenges. You can step across winds and waves and storms that you would not otherwise have been able to weather through. But because your eyes are on the Lord, you weathered it. Amen? The eye is the lamp of the body. Always remember that Jesus is the anchor in your fight. He is also the anchor in your focus. The Old Testament in the Psalm, Psalm 119, has many great verses about your spiritual vision. One of my favourite says this, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I love that. You want to know why? Because it means that when God opens our eyes, then the Bible stops being boring. It starts being beautiful. The vision of Jesus stops being uh, 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 dull. It becomes dramatic and, and it, it enraptures you. And you will, when you see Him and you see Him differently, you now know you want to follow this man all the days of your life. That's why we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. When God opens your eyes to see wonderful things in Jesus, you will follow after no one else. And the song would continue to say, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back, right? Because your eyes are locked on Jesus and you will no longer turn around to look at the winds, the waves, or for that matter, all the crowns that you had to leave behind, all the accolades you had to let go of in order to follow the walk of the cross of Jesus Christ. The eye is the lamp of the body. And Jesus is our anchor in the fight. Jesus is our anchor in our focus. And I want to close with this. Jesus is our anchor in our faith. I want to show you this part of the text because Jesus says something here that might rub you off the wrong way. And I want to spend some time explaining. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of Peter, and saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And sometimes in church, or outside church, sometimes wherever, we use this expression, Oh, you of little faith, and we weaponize it against people. I use, I use some strong words there. Okay, if, I, if it's too strong, forgive me. We use it to say to our people, you don't have enough faith. We use it and our intentions are good. My intentions may be good. I may say, I want Sungai Bulo SIBKL to have more faith. And I come to you and I say, church, you need to have more faith. Come on, have more faith. And then a disaster happens in your life and you pray. And God in His sovereignty may or may not have answered you the way you asked. And sometimes I may make the error of having come to you and said, maybe you didn't have enough faith. Maybe you didn't believe enough. And maybe I make the error of coming to you and saying, oh, you of little faith, if you had more faith, your brother would have been alive or your, or, 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 your, or your mother would not have passed away of this or that. And then, what happens to you? What's left of the train wreck after I pastor you that way? Guilt. A lot of guilt. You'll be broken because you thought that everything fell apart because you were deficient and you were defective and you don't have enough faith. Now I'm going to ask you, how are you going to rebuild your faith after that? If I stand from the distance of a pulpit and say, come on, now you need to have more faith again. Will that help you? Does Jesus expect that of you? That maybe is the more important question. Does Jesus expect you to have that kind of rock star faith? Does He want to grow you to have that kind of faith? Yes. Yes. Does he expect you to have that kind of faith before he will reach out his hand and rescue you? No. You want to know why? 
I'm going to ask, where do you see that in the Bible? You see this in the Bible. Verse 31 says, Jesus reached out His hand and took hold of Him. First, Jesus rescues first. Jesus saves first. And if He wants to make any comment about your faith level, He does it after you're in the boat. He doesn't stand from afar and say, you don't have enough faith, you don't believe, you go walk yourself lah. You're on your own, brother. Since you didn't believe in me, I'm going to stand here and sulk and do my passive-aggressive God thing and say, you go be your own God lah. Is that our God? No. No, when Israel cried out, in Egypt, what did God do? He rescued them first. And Athaliah preached this about a month ago. He rescues them first, then He gives them a new way of living. That new way of living is a way of living in faith in Him. But He rescues them first, then He gives them a new way of living. He lifts Peter out from the water first, then He gives them a new way of living out His faith. He always rescues first. And how do I know this? Jesus himself said, if you have faith like a mustard seed. Now, some of you are looking at me and go, no, that's not how I remember the verse. It's not how I remember the verse. The way I remember the verse is, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. How many of you grew up with, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed? The word small is in the verse. Raise your hand. Okay can lower your hand. How many of you grew up with the, with, with the translation, if you have faith like a mustard seed? Raise your hand. It's about the same, you know, Elder SK is right. It's almost the same. It's so same, but it's not the same. And I want to show you the difference. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it's a comment on the size of the faith. It is telling you that your faith needs only to be very small and God will hear, right? And that's okay. But if you have faith like a mustard seed, it's not the same. Because it is saying that if your faith has the properties that are comparable to the properties of a mustard seed, then God can say, if you move this, tell this mountain to move, it will move, right? That's the Bible verse. And what's the difference? The difference is this. If the translation says, if your faith only as small as a mustard seed, you're always thinking that God wants me to have little faith in Kaoliao, right? And little faith Kaoliao, and then later you hear him say, oh, you of little faith. He's like, God, please, consistent a bit. One day, mustard seed, small, small, good enough. Another day, oh, you of little faith, not good enough. Why you like that? Right? Don't confuse me, right? He's not confusing you. The NIV today, if you go look at it, will say as small as a mustard seed. My ESV says faith like a mustard seed. If you look at a Greek interlinear, it actually says pistis, okay, kernel, mustard. Faith like the kernel of a mustard. There's no comment on the size. So the Bible verse actually says if you have faith that resembles, that's comparable to the seed of the mustard tree, and elsewhere, remember, Jesus has said the mustard tree, so small the seed, but when you plant it, eventually it, what? Grows. It grows to become the biggest tree in that area, and then suddenly everyone finds shelter in it. Different story. We can talk about that another day. But when God says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, He is not saying that your faith needs to be really, try to make your faith as small as possible, the smallest faith in the room. That's not what he's saying. If your faith has capacity to start small and grow big, if your faith has capacity to start, though it may start as the smallest faith in the room, but it has an upward trajectory, it's not a diminishing faith. It is a faith that is on the way up and on the way out. It is a faith that though small grows and grows, so don't despise your small faith, church. And don't let me ever come to you and say that thing, no, this fellow not, not healed because you didn't have enough faith. Don't let me. If I ever come to you and say this, you preach this verse back to me, okay, church? You all preach this back to me. Because let it be known 
that the Bible teaches that your faith can start small as long as it is a growing faith, not a diminishing faith. I'm going to show it to you in a graph. Peter's faith level and over time, right? This is what happens to his faith. At what point is his faith high? I hear some of you whispering it. At what point is his faith high? Early, when he, when he saw Jesus, and then not just when he saw the initial sight is like fear, but after Jesus says, do not be afraid, it is I, and then Peter has this weird request, call me to come out if it's you, and then he gets out of the boat. Do you know how much faith it takes to get out of the boat and start walking on water towards an apparition you initially thought was a ghost? It's quite a commendable faith. When G Peter steps out from the boat, he has faith. By the time Jesus has to catch his hand, O oh, you of little faith, at what point did his face start diminishing when he started looking at the waves and the wind? At what point did Jesus say, Oh, you of little faith? So you can think of this comment, Oh, you of little faith, as a comment about his diminishing faith. How he started with a lot of faith, and by the time Jesus got to him, by the skin of his teeth, he's saying, by this point, how little faith? Oh, you off by now, little faith. And why is this important? For fathers, why is this important? Because on Father's Day, I want you to know that when you go out there into the waves and into the wind, not that your wives don't, these days, virtually all of your wives also face crazy winds and crazy waves together with you, alongside with you. And often they are the ones who appear even to be uh, uh, um, uh, more, more hungry and more fighting even though we may appear more stoic and calm, right? But actually we know inside, dads, I know you're raging as well. And when you and your spouse face all these things, why is this important? Because God wants you to know that you do not need to show up with rock star faith. He's happy that your faith starts small. He wants your faith to grow. And how does your faith grow? Eyes on Jesus. The anchor of your focus results in an anchored faith. But if you don't anchor your focus on God, your faith will not be anchored. And then your faith will be flying all around the place. And by the time He gets you, and He will still rescue you unless you reject Him, which you are not going to, right? As long as you're calling out, He will rescue you and He may discipline you or coach you or, 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 or be a tough father with you in that moment and say, how come your faith diminished? He may. By the way, he only says that to his inner circle. You never see him saying that to the 72. Okay? That says something for us to think about. Okay? That's our God. That's our God. By the time he, we get to, into his hands, what kind of faith do we have? He wants us to have a growing faith, like a mustard seed. Not the plummeting faith of looking at the wind and at the waves. So all you need, my church, all you need is, I don't know how to say a lot of faith. I don't know how to say just a bit of faith. I don't know how to say little faith. Can I have the last slide? Because this thing stopped responding. All you need is enough faith. Enough faith to do what? To reach out and catch God's hand. And He will work on you after that. Because guess what, my friends? This was not Peter's final hour. There was a lot more story for Peter. And because we're going through the book of Acts, we know that this guy who in the time when Jesus was around appeared to be both a lot of bravado, but a lot of cowardice as well, right? A lot of macho, and then also a lot of failures. 
And this is the same Peter who would later, in so-called Jesus' absence, when Jesus steps off and, and is ascended to heaven, and now Peter has to walk the rest of his days without the physical human Jesus with him, though they have the Holy Spirit now. And he, this same Peter, will stand at a beautiful gate and say, silver and gold life, none. What I have, I give to you. Rise up and walk. And people rose up and walked. This is the same Peter who would break from prison not once but twice. This is the same Peter who would go from city to city and share the gospel until the Gentiles all come into belief. This is the same Peter who would see the vision that God gives him and then in obedience go all the way to Cornelius' house and see a breakthrough of God in a people who have never known Yahweh the way he does. This is the same Peter who's one day off Bible, is going to end up likely in Rome, under the hands of the Emperor Nero, and he's going to fulfill the death Jesus told him he would fulfill. He would be dressed by someone in his old age, not him, and he would be crucified, as we know in history books, upside down, because he was not worthy to, cruci- to be crucified the way his Lord was, had died. This is the same Peter who eventually became a remarkable role model for every single one of us. And he had a moment like this, oh you of little faith. So church, for you to have a time in your life when you were told, oh you of little faith, as long as your faith keeps growing, it's not a diminishing faith, but it's a growing one. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. That's our faith. Don't let anybody quantify you and look at you and say, wow, well, so small, so this, so that, you're so unsuccessful, you're so this, and then, and then put you down for it or make you feel defective for it. No, if you're small but you're like a mustard seed, you can grow. Jesus says, you can tell the mountain to move. One day it will move. Amen? Fathers, our journeys, your journeys, I can't begin to imagine how difficult your journeys have been. You've sacrificed. You've done a lot. And sometimes, not always, sometimes on Mother's Day, you hear all the great stories about mothers sacrificing so much. You think, I also want to... (laughs) And somehow, Father's Day got a different feeling to it. I know your sacrifice. I know a father, my own father has sacrificed. I know you all sacrifice a lot. And I know the kind of sacrifice fathers make, not because mums try to tayang more, they don't. In fact, mums do a lot of sacrificing work in the background as well. Fathers, I know you sacrifice a lot in quiet, in secret. You don't advertise your sacrifice. You just eat less, live on less, give more, give more, give more. And you never complain, you show a good face and you just keep giving. And if that is you, I want you to know the Lord is so well pleased. And He wants you to know you are loved. You are loved. And on Father's Day, He wants you to have a good time as well. Okay. But if you did not have a father who sacrificed, if you had a father who abandoned, neglected you, or was harsh with you, or took the best piece, and left you to fend for yourself, I want you to know that Jesus allows certain amount of fighting against the wind and the waves so He grows you. But at some point in Him growing you, He's going to show you that God is your Heavenly Father and He re-fathers you as well. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray. I want to pray for the fathers who did not have the kind, of, the kind of hallmark fathers that sometimes get talked about a lot on Father's Day. If you're a daughter, if you're a daughter or a son and you have an absent father, he's still absent today. Or you have a broken relationship with your father or it was painful. I want you to know that God refathers you. Which is why we call church a family. Because in the church family, the Heavenly Father comes in and He fills that gap in your life. The need for love, the need for affection, the need for tenderness, which maybe our Asian parents may not be so equipped to give. 
that lovey, huggy, tenderness because they themselves did not receive it. Because why? Because their own fathers were migrants and had to survive. And they had to fight against the wind and the waves and Lord and church, forgive them that they could not show a softer side. Circumstances did not allow them to. They were fighting against wind and waves their whole lives just to put me through. Put me through school. Put me through into work. And Lord, I did not have the tender hand of a loving, gentle, cuddly father. And I see Western fathers, sometimes I think, oh, I'm envious of that. Lord, can you be that for me? And if your father was never there for you, I want you to cry out right now, Lord, can you be there for me? And if you've lost your father, to whatever it may be, even if he may be around, but in some ways you've lost him, can that also be your cry? Can your cry be, Lord, please refather me? I stretch my hand out to you. I say, God, save me. I feel like an orphan sometimes. I feel lost. I feel like I don't have the, either the guidance on one hand, I don't have the affection on the other hand, I don't have something. Church, I want you to know that there will be no perfect fathers outside of God the Father. And He gives us our earthly fathers to show us the way forward. But our earthly fathers and ourselves, we will never be able to perfectly show the way. And I'll say this right now because I have Isabel and Eleanor in front of me. Girls, I will fail you one day. There'll be ways when I cannot show you the perfect way to the Father. And God Himself will refather you, girls. God Himself will refather every single one of us. So I want you to reach out to God. Whether your hand physically reaches out is another story, but I want you to reach out to God. And I don't need you to rise, I don't need you to sing along. I want to get the worship team to now sing and lead us into a song. I want you to be ministered to by God. Let us enter into a space with God right now. Hallelujah. Father, we have decided, Lord God, today we want to lock eyes with you. We don't want to look at the wind. We don't want to look at the waves. We want to look only at Jesus. And I have made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm not following the storm. I'm not following the wind and waves. I'm following Jesus today. And as I follow Jesus, I don't want to turn around. I don't want to turn back. I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. And Lord Jesus, as I keep my eyes on you, I pray you will grow my faith and you'll be my anchor in the storm so that even though everything is going crazy around me, but I will not waver. I will not shake. I will not fall. Takkan goyah, takkan goyang. You remain sure-footed because your anchor is in Christ. So Father, I thank you, Lord God, for every single one of us who's here today. Whether it's a Father's Day message or it's another Sunday's message, I pray that we walk out of here reshaped and transformed in our eyes so that we can keep eyes on God and not waver. So, Father, we thank you. May you cover us in your love. May you cover us in joy. May you cradle us like little children all over again in the arms of a heavenly Father. He loves you. He protects you. He will cover for you. And when you are down, He will be with you. And just as you think you cannot go on anymore, Either He knows you can or it's that time He comes to rescue you. So Lord Jesus, receive our praise, receive our attention as a worship offering. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. All of God's people say, Amen. Amen.